podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi there, I'm Brian Abana and you're listening to the Mall Over Podcast. Hello, good evening and welcome to this week's Mall Over Podcast. Or actually, hello, good afternoon and welcome to this week's Mall Over Podcast. The Indie Rugby Podcast gives you all the news, views and opinion on the weekend's rugby action, all with a West Country accent. You can find us on Twitter, we are Mall Over Podcast. We are more over Rugby Podcast on Facebook, and you can find all of our podcasts on Anchor, as well as all other decent podcatchers. Uh, I am here this afternoon, on a Wednesday afternoon in Cornwall, uh, with Phil and Ben, full Cornish contingent, or, well, based in Cornwall anyway. Uh, how you going, fellas? Yeah, very good. Glad to be back. Been, a, been away for a while. Yeah. Usually your, your technology lets you down in, in your cow shed. Yeah, obviously nobody in Cornwall uses the internet in halftime. Yeah, or, or just on a Wednesday afternoon. Hey, how are you, Ben? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Um, I I've been receiving some messages about you maybe getting a shout out or something on on another podcast. What's all this about? Well, basically, as you know, we uh we've bought a puppy, and whilst I was trying to think of a name, I googled brave dogs which led me to fall down a sort of brave animal Wikipedia hole. And um, Blood and Mud podcast, around the same time, started doing a uh, war animals section. So I was fully genned up on the subject. So I thought I'd uh, lend a hand and suggested a couple of uh, animals that have won medals for them to talk about. I mean, did they actually talk? I mean, do you still listen to Blood and Mud? Yeah, yeah. Fair, fair play to you. So um, I yeah. just I find Josh Gardner so fucking sanctimonious and condescending that I cannot stand listening to him anymore. Let alone listen to his shit on Twitter. You know, well, yeah, he but probably they were ta- won't listen to this, and I talk shit on Twitter as well, so it's fine. But they've got a segment about dogs that save people's lives in shipwrecks. So you know. There you go. They're, they're automatically better people than us or me. But yeah, I, I uh, quite enjoy a dose of blood and mud every now and again. There Listen to go. us first, though. Obviously. <laughs> Nobody... I, uh, I was I was telling Russ before you came on, Ben, that I was just been down to Morgan Port and there's massive swells because it's tail end of a hurricane coming in. And some woman who decided she was going to rush around to go and get up the uh, coastal path got her timing badly wrong Uh-oh. and got wiped out. And I, and I can guarantee her dog was in no way, shape or form helping her. <laughs> Soon to go hit by the waves, that dog was that dog was gone up over the dunes and disappeared. Halfway up the beach, yeah. Don't <laughs> yeah. blame it. The joys, the joys of... Uh walking the dogs on the beach in Cornwall. I saw the, the watering hole was very close to the water at Perrinporth at high tide. So, uh, yeah. Um, and this evening we're meeting for the first time, um, socially distant. If that, oh God, I don't, I hate saying that. Um, we're meeting Ryan. <laughs> we're going to we? have a big group hug. Yeah, <laughs> we are. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to, uh, have a rule of six dinner and a drink with, uh, long time, listener and friend of the show ryan keyshaw so that should be decent this evening um we'll all be gone by 10 o'clock obviously uh but yeah we'll see what happens um should we talk about some rugby let's let's start very briefly obviously week before last was the european finals bristol versus Toulon and exeter versus uh racing um two incredible games of rugby for for finals phil yeah um absolutely um yeah exactly what you want from a final is two sides that deserve to be there have been the best two sides in that competition on an absolutely piss it down on we're talking European um, on and actually came out and really threw themselves at it and provided the spectacle that you want for top European competition um, and great sorry, um, based in England now fantastic week rugby yeah Ben did you uh, did you catch either of the, the European finals uh, yeah I watched the um, the Exeter game um, <clears throat> It was a. I thought that the the start of the game was a little bit uh, 
subdued for a final. But once it got going, well, once the the racing scrum half stopped having a what kind of nervous breakdown he was having, um, it, it became a really good game. And by the end, it was a it was a full intense final and, and very much enjoyable. I mean, what he was doing, um, I've no idea. Um, he cost he put, them. He put Finn Russell in some spots, didn't he? Well, he, there was he missed the kick to touch the first penalty. He missed the kick to touch, and he put it. He didn't even miss it. He put it through the back of the um, dead ball area. Then he then he took a quick line out, which got turned over and cost them a try. Then he tried to keep the ball in from a, a kick into the corner, and then gave away a penalty, and that cost another try. So. I think he'd almost put them sort of 17 points down by the time the game had even started, you know, 10 minutes in. And um, they did very well to get back into the game, you've got to say. And um, you saw like Finn Russell, just in a nutshell, wasn't it? You know, he he, he basically created two tries that cost them two as well. I mean, that pass across his own try line was suicidal. Yeah. and Exeter, they're the opposite, aren't they? They just stuck to what they do. Um, and I thought um, Harry Williams was was brilliant. He's been brilliant for weeks now, for weeks. Phil, you coming in? Yeah, no, I was going to say it's it was a classic example. Sorry, it's taken me a long. It's, it's ten days past now. I can barely remember what happened, <laughs> but now it's coming back to me. Um, it's a classic example of that team that plays tight system plays that has faith in what they're doing versus the ones that the team that's trying to produce that bit of magic to score a try um, and to just played their game perfectly. And there was somebody, I can't remember who it was, somebody in the uh, commentary and had exactly the same in the Prem final was calling for little um, Joe Simmons foot and a little chip into the, into the middle of the space and it's something that Exeter just do not do. They don't they don't put the ball aerially or even along along the ground between that first line of defence and back three. Um, never have done it. I don't think they ever will do it. And yes, you can see how it would be a useful tactic to do, but they just have faith in their systems. And we've spoken multiple times, particularly in an England context, about how teams sometimes are overcoached. But with Exeter, it is very much a case of this is what we do and we know that it works. Um, and that's not to say they don't play exciting, free-flowing rugby. That's just to say that they have their paths and they have their their groups of moves and they have their skills and they just absolutely nail them 100% of the time. You could set, tell every time to got that ball in the, in the um, probably within 10 metres of the try line of Racing, um, they were going to score. Yeah, because they're always going to score. The, the 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 semi-final they played against Bath was the perfect example of it because Bath in the first half had were the equal to them and and had the bulk of possession. But every time Exeter got the ball, they got it into the twenty-two either by kicking a, a penalty a long way or by some good rugby. And once they're in the twenty-two, it's inevitable they're just going to score. Um, I still I still think sometimes they should probably take the points. Especially well, in a in a final like that. That that will that will lead us probably lead us on nicely to to where we're going next, Ben. Um, when when we do get there. But sorry, carry on. Yeah, I think sometimes they get a little bit. Um, I don't know. It's almost like they believe in the system so much that they think they're going to score every time. And you know, especially in bad weather, you've got risks of the line out. There's always a risk at a scrum. Um, and, and as we know, malls can be a bit of a mess. So I think in a final against a team that's got as much threat as they do, then perhaps not every time, but just taking the points might be a, an option at times. The thing they've done to negate that line outside is just move to that tap and go. Um, and I can't remember the... I think it was 17, they said, 17 tries they scored this season from a tap and go from a penalty. And there is a there is a near inevitability uh, to it. There were times where 
actually you're right you go this is a moderately close game let's let's take the three points particularly in earlier games within the season but i suppose the counteracting argument to that is on the balance of probabilities they score so many from <laughs> close range that it's almost a banker for them it's almost as much of a banker as a penalty i mean joe Stevens has kicked 83 percent or something for the whole season they probably score 83% of the time they get the ball in hand in the five metre, within the five metre line anyway. Yeah. Ben, you mentioned something on um, on the group the other day on the WhatsApp about the the law changes and, and the way that that's been adapted since lockdown that um, that might see next to suffer somewhat or, or might not suit their game plan. Uh, Are I, you going to bring this up in, in relation to the final or is it something, the, the premiership think, final or, I, or something? I think it's, um, it's a wider point, really. I, I think they're just the best team in in the premiership and probably you know, in Europe. They are the best team in Europe. They've just won it. So it's not a criticism of them. But I, I do think since uh, since we've come back from lockdown with the, the new sort of interpretations, I just think they're going to have to change a little bit because um, I, I don't think they've had the sort of um, length of possession that they used to. So, so you know, some games you would see extra plays maybe a year ago, they would have the ball for 10, 15 minutes. And I just don't think that's possible to do anymore with so many new penalties at the breakdown. And because there are more penalties, even for the opposition as, as well as the, their own, um, I, I think it breaks the game up more, so they're not quite grinding as much as they were before. And I think they're more than good enough, and their management is more than good enough to adjust to it. But whether they'll need maybe a, a, a maybe a jackler in the back row, um, yeah, they're or, quite pa- they're quite passive at the breakdown, aren't yeah. they? Especially in defence. But I, I so think even even with that slow build that they have of of making a couple of yards at a time, I think there's more risk involved in that now, and 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 I think um, that it might just mean they've got to change a little bit. I, I think the the return really suited Wasps more than anyone, as the results show. Um, and Exeter, they're just better than everyone at the moment, so they were able to just make do. But I think you, you started to see them as possession, as, as the game sort of broke up a little bit, and there was penalties, so it stopped the flow of the game, and, and they started to look a bit vulnerable out wide especially against um racing but also a little bit against wasps um i don't know it, it might just be me seeing things that aren't there but to me it makes no, no, sense I, I think you're perfectly right um even when they had matt kovacic who was one of the best jacklers in the, league at the time they didn't use him as a jackler no. um but They've relied on the fact that the way the breakdowns have been refereed historically is that if you get somebody there within a second or two, they can really fly in that clear out and take take the man off the ball. Mm. So your ball carrier is almost permitted to hold onto the ball quite tight to start with. The way they're being refereed now is actually, to my view, the right way of refereeing it, because otherwise it allows teams to keep the ball despite not having that support quite as close as it Mm. should be. So extra have got two choices. Either they kind of, well, defensively, do they look to employ the jackler more or do they stick being more passive? Now, I would say defensively, okay, they're missing turnovers by not having that jackler, but their line speed and their aggressive tackling and the decision-making in the tackles as to whether whether to go for the ball or whether to go for the chop tackle, I think is is fantastic. And it means that they can get away with that jackler. But also in attack, I think they're going to have to adapt to have, particularly once you get into that kind of 13 channel and outside, they need to have a support player literally within a couple of metres of the ball carrier all the time, or they're going to risk those turnovers. And I think the other thing as a result of the rules is what you're seeing is a lot of jackler type players be that sixes sevens hookers and also some of the centers out in those wider channels because they they massively see it as a, as a turnover opportunity and i think potentially extra just don't shift the ball as wide as they used to 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 counteract it well exit yeah. exit secure the ball um, i don't 
want to focus entirely on Exeter, but you know they they are the team that have had the just most success. The to, that have just done the double. Um, so you know it, it's it's where we are. But Exeter's game itself has never really relied on that speed of ball and out and out pace, is it? They're almost like the you know they they do grind teams down, and when they when the option is there. But if you just got to look at like the 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 players they use. I mean Slade. Whilst Fleet of Foot is not Jonathan Joseph level quick, let's say for for as a as a direct comparison as a, as a thirteen, Jack Knoll isn't the quickest winger in the world, but he offers something different. I mean, I don't know. Ollie Woodbird is quick, but he's not the Johnny dead. May. He's not Johnny May. Their 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 gas man's sort of O'Flaherty, isn't he? He's the one they use with with pace, but they're. Like you say, if if they're going to start like other teams have done, and you mentioned you mentioned Wasps there, who have benefited the most because of the way they play and the way they've come out of lockdown, they use a very mobile uh, back row and they move the ball very very quickly. Wasps, I don't think in attack they don't keep the ball in and around the contact area very much. They tend to use the likes of Umaga, Gopathax as the the pivot. And and then from there they're able to move the ball either way, um, so that that is where they've been a, they've been able to benefit. And the likes of Willis, both Willis brothers, um, uh, Thomas Young, as well, who you know has has been good, and they they are able to. I can't remember who played seven. Who played seven on Saturday for Wasps? My brain is gone. Thomas Young. Yeah, Thomas Young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. So and it does allow them to loiter in those in those spaces to enforce those turnovers. I, I, I just yeah. think when when Exeter get into the twenty two, historically they tend to then go one yard at a time, which realistically is going to take you 12, 12 13 phases. Yeah. But they don't go anywhere, and, do they? And what they do is is they they dominate that contact area. Yes, but they so have they, to make sure they do that because with with the new rules making a turnover easier, yeah. you're you're risking twelve or thirteen times on the way. Yeah. So it's not it's not a big thing what, for them yet, but it may well become it. Because what they're relying on is that ball security, and then the opposition doing something stupid so they can yes. kick it into the five meter channel yeah. and start a lot closer. Oh, I mean, the game plan is is simple. Everyone can see it. Stopping it, on the other hand, difficulty, and they're brilliant at it. And it's not like it's uh, it's hit and so, hope is it they're, they're so really good at it so that, that but that if you on to the go on so go on phil before i, I was, no i was gonna say if you look at it from the other side so we're not just talking about extra if you look at it from the wasp side you're right russ that quick ball allows those players to to move slightly further out and pivot off a off a gopeth or an umaga which works great if you're playing against a team like gloucester who perhaps might not be so mobile around the pitch but also get sucked into those contact areas quite a lot and as a result they're sucked in and the ball's gone and you've got an overlap somewhere where it doesn't work is against a team like Exeter who go that's fine we've made a tackle everybody else is in the defensive line um and and I think they almost ended up nullifying each other for 60 minutes of the final as a result and the weather didn't help no exactly and that's where I was going that's why I led with the European because obviously we weren't here last week is like two very very different games yeah. in regards to the way it was played due to conditions or whatever. But you mentioned that quick ball that Wasps had, Phil, then. That was how they scored their try on Saturday. That quick ball that got Harry Williams isolated in that channel to allow Umaga to, to get through the hole. And, um, you know, like you 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 said quite quite rightly there, that whilst the, the rain and the weather didn't help matters, I think the two styles of the two teams completely nullified each other on Saturday and the you know Exeter Exeter took the points on a conditions base on a conditions basis when they start I think they they realized to a certain extent that wasps because of their their jackalin ability because of their their speed at the breakdown they didn't want to make those errors knocking the ball on or, or being turned over that's why they took the points and they don't do that very much ben with to your point 
to your point a few minutes ago. Um, so obviously, as a, as a spectacle, as a you know, everybody wants the Premiership final, like it in May, usually in May, running rugby, nice sunny day at Twickenham. Having it at the end of October was was quite different, and for me, it didn't make it any less exciting. I thought the game, whilst the game wasn't high in quality, um, the tension and the, you know, the that's how I want to watch a rugby match. I want to, I don't, I, I don't want a, a rugby match where one team is blown away. You want a final that's that could go either way, and it very nearly did, Ben. Yeah, I think actually both matches could very easily uh, have turned at the end. Um, with uh, there was the turnover by. Um, Hidalgo Klein. Hidalgo Klein in the first game, which was borderline, let's say. And then you had the um, it's very suspect line out call yeah. on Exeter's line. I mean, I felt I felt for um, Ogre, Ogre. really yeah. um, in in those conditions. Um, I thought you oh, know he was properly stitched up, absolutely stitched up by whoever's calling the line outs. I mean, they never it's, even got uh, a man I mean, up. That is, they? I mean, no, in, fair, but... in fairness, I don't think I don't think it was even a penalty because I thought Jack Jack Yendall, or Jack Yendall, um, came right through the middle, still bound, then got his hands on the ball. Um, I thought Craig Maxwell yeah. key. It, what what I will say is before we just go back to talk about Old Grey again and the, and and the poor judgment for for the lineup call is there is a reason why I think that Craig Maxwell Keys was the seventh choice to referee that final. Um... <laughs> to, to his defence, a little bit that penalty was exactly the same as he as the one he gave against I think Willis about five minutes before. Yeah, um, when yeah, Exeter were on the attack, wrong, yeah. doesn't make um, either of them right though. No, and they were both suspect, but at least he was consistent. Um, I've got I've not got as big a problem with him as you do, but um, yeah, back I to I mean, shit. that well, line out was was I, I felt for the kid. It, it wasn't. The first, I think it was the first three lights after he came on. So young kid, premiership final, absolutely horrific weather conditions. What he wants is a front ball or at worst, a middle ball with a bit of movement to, to distract Exeter so they, they don't put up a front jumper. But it wasn't just where he went in the line out. All three of those lineouts, there was absolutely zero movement from any of the wasp players apart from the person jumping so there's no disguise there at all to give him an extra six inches of of leeway in case x to put a jumper up i mean it was I mean, it was shocking wasps line out didn't function very well all day i thought sam skinner had an absolutely excellent game in the line out um which was a bit of a shock as to why man of the know, match it, for me. Of, well yeah it was a bit of a shock that he that he started i think obviously with johnny gray and johnny hill doing such a great job um but the other the other thing about that that wasps line out at the end was extra just given away you know jack yinder were just given away that penalty for for bringing down the mall however the the referee had, had seen it um you throw to two you secure your ball there and get some forward momentum. If you get that ball going forward, probably three things are going to happen. You're either going to get another penalty where you get to, to have another go. You, um, you push over and you score a try and likelihood is if you get a penalty, it's going to be a yellow card. Um, you push them all over and you score a try. Or you push them over, um, somebody drags them all down, and you get a, a penalty try for it. I mean, the likelihood and of being only... held—the likelihood of actually being held up, knowing knowing that they just received that penalty—the likelihood of being held up and it not of, you know, Exeter being able to stop it legally was was pretty slim, I think. And I think it probably would have been in. Um, CMK's head to go under the sticks had there been another infringement at that point anyway? So the, the downside of doing that front ball is um, it, it then becomes Exeter's primary aim to take that maul that's set and to put, push it off the side of the pitch which requires just a uh, bit more a la, thought from a la the Rob Shaw, a la Rob Shaw. 
to, to bring it down and then to to stick a right pivot on it to, to make sure you're you're keeping in the pitch. Or even you throw a two ball and an offload and re reset up the mall five meters in. There's there's plenty of opportunities, but throwing to the back of the line without any kind of movement in front is just it's just unfair on the pocket. It really was. And like you say, or I said previously, the, the Wasps line-out didn't function really at all throughout the game. Um, but what, 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 we, what we can say is, much like the final the week before, is that Exeter turned that ball over and then went penalty, line-out, more, penalty, line-out, more, penalty, line-out, more, three points. Literally, like almost exactly yeah, like coffee. Yeah, it was it was incredible, and that and that comes from confidence. I think you know maybe if they'd lost that game against Racing the week before, would they have had the confidence and the the courage and their convictions to to go and and do what they did there? You know, Rob Baxter talked about it in his post match interview that you know he that gave them like success obviously breeds success and confidence breeds confidence. And once they turned that ball over, you, you, you just knew wasps were done. I think there were like four minutes left on the clock. And as soon as they turned that ball over, they, they had the not straight line out. They won the penalty at the scrum and that was it. You know, you just, you, there was no way back for wasps whatsoever. Um, Go on, Phil. You mentioned you mentioned him earlier, Sandro Klein. Uh, I think since since he's come into Leicester, bearing in mind he's probably Scotland's fifth or sixth scrum half at the moment. I think he's been excellent since the, since the restart. Yeah. I think his his qu- quality and speed of ball has been great, but also he reads the game really well and kind of reads the situation. I think he's been fantastic, and I suppose this is this is the only thing really from a. Um, from a rugby perspective, maybe from an extra perspective, is whatever happens this season is always going to have a bit of an asterisk next to it. And you look at it and you go, "Well, if you, if you listen, if you listen to Saracens fans, well, ignore that bit." But <laughs> not, not from a Saracens perspective. I meant from a from a COVID no, perspective. Um, how much how much better have Exeter been because they've had Johnny Gray and Harry Klein come in? Um, I'm trying to think whether what who Wasps have got, whether they've signed anyone, but certainly you look at Bristol and, and the big players, you look at your your Earls, your Malins, your Randrandras that have, that have come in and helped Bristol. Would they have ended up in a Premiership semi-final and you're winning a European competition without them? I, I'm just going to put a question mark not. there. Well, that's, we'll, leave, we'll leave that to the listeners to decide, but no, they wouldn't. I mean... So, what, what what do you think, Ben? Well, is in terms of an asterisk. Well, yeah, and and in terms of of how of the impact of of the potential of the signings, I guess that, that Phil alluded to um, there across across the board, really. Well, I think you know they lost. Uh, what was the name of the scrum half? The Australian Nick White. Nick White. Right. So he was their obvious starting nine. So so Hidalgo Klein was almost like a a loan to replace an injury in in effect. Um and and well as he's played, I don't think he's as good player as good a player as White. I mean Hill is a big signing, isn't he? But he's he's a very solid player, but I don't think he's outstanding. Who's that? Um, not Hill, sorry. Um Johnny Gray, yeah, you know he's he's a good international player, but it's not like they've signed. Um, well, I suppose yeah, Brody Retallick or someone like yeah, that. Is it? But then, like you, I mean, you could argue if you're looking at lock, locks of the world. Yeah, you could probably say Johnny Gray might be up there in the top five. Maybe is that a stretch? You know, so if you think, I'd, of, I'd say he was. I'd say he was the third best on that pitch on Saturday. The system that they play... What, behind Lawrence, and Hill? Yeah. He's a perfect person to slide in for the system that they play. Hasn't missed a tackle since 1942. Yeah, it, um, I'm, not, I'm not knocking the guy. I think he's a good, really good player, really good international. But 
You know, it's not fits, like signing he, Retallic or um, no, but he no, no, fits their like system that. better than better than Retallic. Probably does actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, you know, is there is there a um, an asterisk on it? I, I think there always will be. It's the COVID season, but what are you going to do about it? You know. <laughs> No, no, you take, yeah. take it in and you and you celebrate it like they have yeah. done. Um, I was uh, we had that situation on when was it Tuesday, Wednesday, when there was a possibility that Bristol were going to be playing. Um, so we found out with the coronavirus for what, which would have been a much bigger asterisk. But well, I, I tell time, you what they should have done. What's that? They should have just done. The no, what they should have said was all right. One-off game. We've changed our minds. Saracens, if you can beat Exeter in a final, you can stay up. That would have been the grudge on, match of the century, wouldn't it? But on Tuesday, I was um, I was with a good friend of Daniel Thomas's, um, and he was texting me whilst uh, texting him whilst I was there. And apparently they were still on the beers from, from the Friday <laughs> night on the Tuesday. So they were dreading getting a call to say that they were playing in the Premier final and have to sober up. Yeah, it wouldn't have been the right thing to do. In yeah. any, if it had Wasps have no. not made it, they should have just gone, you know what? And, and everyone's saying, oh, you know, it's the, pre- it's the showpiece, it's this, it's that. There was no there was no prick in the stands. It's not like people... Yeah, but money from what, Ben? From, from the have, TV company. They'd have had to have paid BT back. It's just yeah. ridiculous. You know, and the whole, I mean, you could argue a lot of a lot of the restart, and I know we've been down this road once before, or maybe more, um, that the whole thing is it, pretty ridiculous. It's a ridiculous decision. When you've got, when you've got a team based in the Midlands and one in the South West, they should have seen if they could have played at Ashton Gate or something like that, because you don't need the extra stand space in there. For what it costs to open up Twickenham, it would have cost them a damn sight more money. They could have, should have just hold, held at Ashton Gate. Yeah, and the RFU weren't but, doing them many favours either, were they? <laughs> Let's be honest. Nope. Um, we, we've we completely sort of seemed to have circumnavigated the two tries that were scored in the game. Um, two nice, well, sort of single-man clean breaks, really. Henry Slade and uh, and Jacob Umanga. Very good, very nice tries. I mean, you can't really say too much too much about them, can you? Because they were li- literal you- sort of individual tries. If you're being super picky about it, on the Slayer try, um, Willis almost had to trust uh, whoever it was sweeping behind him to get to get to the winger. Um, to get, uh, I, can't, I can't remember who was standing out on the wing at the time, but Willis almost had to trust that man and not get sucked out wide. Um, and the prop should have been much closer and, and closing up that space. But as soon as that space was there, Slade was gone, and that was that. And Similarly, you can pick some slight holes in the Umanga try, but they're pieces of individual glory in a on, on a shit game, not a shit game, but sh- shit weather conditions that everybody's struggling in and um, both deserve their, their moment of glory. Yeah. And Henry Slade getting man of the match, which I did find completely it's odd. Absolutely. Farcical. Austin, that's just Austin, an yeah, Austin Healy for you. Um, Ball so, doesn't get outside 10 all game and you give man of the match to an yeah. outside centre. It's just I, a joke. I felt a bit, I felt a little bit sorry for um, Gareth Steenson. Uh, I didn't know. So I think someone told me that you, he would have to have been on the pitch when the penalty was conceded to be able to come on and take it. But it would have been it would have been nice for him to be on the pitch and kick that final penalty, wouldn't it? Well, it would just been on the pitch. Yeah, yeah. They could have they could have just sort of subbed him on before the before the kick was taken. I guess put him on at full back. It was the last kick of the game anyway, wasn't it? He's joining the coaching staff though, isn't he? So yeah, it's, it's kicking, kicking, same. kicking yeah. coach. Yeah. I mean, I, I, think, they, I think they've invented not... a position for him. <laughs> I'm not sure he cares that much. In all honesty. No, Ten years ago, wins a golden boot in the championship, and now he's got two medals. Yeah, fair, fair play, an, an excellent servant, and I think he was for, he. But the other thing is, I think he was two or three points. He's fifth on the all-time Premiership scorers list, and he was either two or three points behind whoever was above him, <laughs> Paul Grayson or someone. I can't, I can't remember who, but. Um, 
yeah so uh farewell gareth go and uh enjoy enjoy the standoff and and all the other stuff that you're um that you're going to be doing uh let's let's move on swiftly um after the game on saturday obviously everybody uh until sort of thursday of last week would have been looking forward to the england barbarians match you especially ben i know it's right oh, yeah absolutely absolutely waiting for it um until it was uh cancelled i guess it wasn't even postponed was it due to the actions of everybody has blamed chris robshaw um (laughs) but there did appear that there were some other people there in that pub or that italian restaurant i think it was um where they were all having a a good old drink and a whatever um i can't imagine that the people in the know didn't know that a group of at least eight or ten of their players were going out for dinner and having a drink i i really struggle to believe that the management had no idea about that. Um, I mean, we, you can't see what in the, in the video that circulated, you can't see what's going on on the other side, but you don't know whether there was anybody else in that restaurant. Like you would, you could probably say, or you could probably argue if there's 10 professional rugby players in there, the likelihood is that there probably won't be anybody else in that restaurant. There was obviously somebody recording it. Not for long, anyway. Yeah. Um. And uh, you know, I get, I get the, the fucking COVID bubble or whatever. But people like I was going to move, like move on to the the way that Twitter reacted in typical Twitter fashion, where they should all be hung, drawn, and quartered, and um, banished from the realms of rugby. And how can Rob Shaw let? let himself down and let England down and let all these people down. People, the, my favourite, one of my favourite ones were, what about those England players that stood to win their first caps? And I was like, you fuck, you know, fuck all. Shut up. No cap international. Oh yeah, but it would have helped England's preparation for Italy. No, it wouldn't because the people that would have played against the Barbarians would, the likelihood is most of them wouldn't play against Italy anyway. Um, uh, so it, it means nothing. The Barbarians is built on a a social foundation. Um, you know, the game should never really have been scheduled in the first place, in my opinion, which is the, the argument I tried to make. But the uh, the people, you know, the the do gooders and the and the they should behave better because they're professional sportsmen. I just don't get it. Why should they do it? Why should they have to do anything? They don't have to do anything. They're just normal people like everybody else. The the people that hold the people the problem are the people that hold them to a higher esteem than everybody else. Yeah, if you're taking your so, moral cues from James Haskell, you're probably in trouble. So the important thing to remember is this was a game between England third and a bunch of random players who have some of which have never been near an international side and some of which should never have been near an international side. It's such a nothing game that anybody who gives a shit about it clearly needs a better life. That's that's all I have to say on the matter. Barbarians should play the Lions in a warm-up. That's, that's what they should be kept for. That would be much better. Although the, the Lions are playing Japan at Murrayfield, aren't they? Yeah. Which will well, be really good. It, the tours are so short now that they could they could play the barbarians. They could either play them where they go on tour, or they could play them as a warm up. You know, it wouldn't be a. I, I, I no, can't see it no would be a problem. You know? No disrespect to some of the people in that list, though. But that has to be the weakest barbarian. Oh, squad. the uh, yeah. the shittest barbarian squad I've ever seen. If the barbarians were 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 playing once every four years, it would have more of an attraction to the players. Um, I, and and if it was just Lions players that weren't available, then you would have, a, you know, A, you'd have New Zealand, South Africa, Australia players available, and you'd have a lot of the home nations players that aren't picked for the Lions with a proof, point to prove. So I think that would be good. Um, but, you know, if it's just to play not, against England thirds, it's pointless. It was basically some kind of... Yeah. Kind of celebratory showpiece game 
whoever decided that England are going to play the Barbarians the day after the Premiership final Mad. has ultimately belittled both of those two teams, England and the Barbarians. The two best teams will be playing in the Premiership final and they will have, on average, I don't know, five to seven out of an England squad per side. So you've automatically taken half of your first team squad out of it and you're playing not within a recognised international window anyway. So your barbarian side is going to be based on who's available and in the right hemisphere. So it's just a bloody joke. It's nothing more than money, which goes against everything the barbarians should be about. Completely, completely agree. Um, and that obviously does lead us on to, to England and the uh, the Six Nations, the, or the culmination of the Six Nations this week or, um, in Rome. Uh, Ireland are playing France. So Ireland are top of the group, uh, top of the table at the moment, aren't they? And if they win in Fra- against France, then they will win the, the Six Nations. If France win and England win, I think that should leave England to be the Six Nations champions, um, which are the only two sort of permutations, I think. Um, Eddie's named his 36-man squad. Lots of people talking about who's in and who's out and who deserves what. And, um, you know, we've we've talked about certain players at length on this podcast. Um, there's, there's a couple of things that I, I do want to talk about about this squad is that there seems to be some credit for players who have impressed previously but maybe haven't done it in the most recent history. And I, and I will highlight uh, Thokanasiga, who has been injured for quite a considerable period of time. Um, he gets in whilst his Bath teammate, who I thought was excellent after the restart, McConaughey. I think, you know, it seems a strange decision. Um, George Furbank keeps his place, who... Seem whose form seemingly fell off a cliff since that start in France, where everybody was talking him up, um, and me included. But ever since, and, and even post lockdown, his form was, you know, awful. And I watched him against. Was it in the prayer? Was it in the European quarterfinal against Exeter? He basically gave them two tries as well. It was just not a good performance. Um, and. Uh, great to see Ollie Lawrence in there. I feel sorry. The one guy I feel sorry for is Ben Spencer. He seems to me like Willie Hines keeps getting picked. He's brought in Alex Mitchell now. Uh, Dan Robson's managed to get in finally. But Eddie Jones typically has picked this sort of game managing nine. You know, Ben Youngs and then Willie Hines, right? Imagine if you had a younger, better player than Willie Hines that plays in a very, very similar fashion. But he's, he's a it, much bigger threat with the ball in hand. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah, it's it, it's baffling, isn't it? If you look to the rest of that squad, you would say, look, there's some things I don't agree with, but I can kind of see you thinking on most of them. But the Spencer thing is just, it's weird. I don't know what the problem is. And, and, you know, that he held out against Robson for so long was also weird. I just don't understand it. Um, Hines is injured he now, I believe. But... He doesn't want a nine who's a threat. He wants a nine to shift the ball to a ten. And yeah, but, box kick. But, but that, both ben of which, Spencer's the best both of box kicker in the Spencer Premiership. Yeah, yeah, I know. Look, it's Eddie. That's, that's probably the yeah. best that you can come up with. But yeah. uh, on the whole, so, and we and we spoke about um, how and people will laugh when I when I phrase it in a different way. How Johnny Gray's a better than Brody Retallick if you play rugby the way that Exeter wants to play rugby. Eddie wants to play rugby in a in a certain way, or and what way seems to change a little bit during the games. But he he has a game plan he sets out to his players, and he picked what he believes is the right people for 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 that game plan. And if you look at fly half, like don't get me wrong, Umanga's playing pretty well and he's had a he's had a pretty good first serious season at 10 has he been playing better than Marcus Smith no does does Eddie like the way Marcus Smith plays no in the same way he doesn't like Danny Cipriani um Joe Simmons obviously his his 
face doesn't fit or there's something about the way that he plays that that he doesn't like because he's just he's in the European final and and controlled a game for his team to win the European final he's captain his side to a premiership final and and doesn't get a look in that's that's the one for me where I think he's really unlucky um but for whatever reason Eddie has his his likes and his dislikes and that's, that's that's kind of just the way it is and and you know what if they win it doesn't really matter like there's so many ways if you you could pitch players it's like um playing some kind of football manager job it's like playing championship manager yeah joe simmons is better on this but umang is better on that and um there are, there's always to be people that are really unlucky to to miss yeah. out because because of the way Eddie makes his selection. Well, because because of Eddie um, coach. It's, yeah, it's, I, it's I agree. That, I know. For me, the important thing is I don't really care about this game uh, because the Six Nations should have been over in March and it's or April and it's now and it's October. Italy I'm more interested. I, I'm more interested in Next Nations and starting again. I am. Um, I think I agree with with Phil that, you know, we're only a year away from a world cup final. So, you know, it, he's got a bit of credit in the bank and, and I know Russ, you're a big one for picking players on form and horses for courses, but I think to a degree, you've got to pick your best 15 players and play them together as much as possible. Um, but I do think if you were picking your best 15 players, Spencer's definitely in it. Yeah. Um, you know, other than that, you know, they've got injuries. So, you know, there's a few guys that have dropped out due to that. You've you likes of Ford and um Tuilangi. Uh you've got um Furbank is a, is a bit of a strange one, I would guess, because Russ is right, he's not looked very solid at all. Um, but you know, maybe a vote of confidence might do him the world of good. Well um it'll be interesting to see what he does because Max Malins has been playing so well for Bristol at fullback. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised to see him start at fullback on Saturday. Surely um, you'd start Watson at fullback. Well, I yeah. think Watson will be on the wing. I would. I, I'd start Watson at fullback. But equally, going back to, to your point that a vote of confidence would do him some good. A vote of confidence would do me some good for my six-a-side <laughs> football on a Wednesday night. But I don't expect a phone call from Gareth Southgate about it. Look, looking at looking at this, the backs that he's picked, he's got fucking a Seager, Farrell, Furback, Hines has now gone to us, Mitchell, Joseph, Lawrence, Malins, Marchant, May, Robson, Youngs, Watson, uh, Umaga, Thorley, and Slade. Now, if he's going to play uh, Farrell at 10, then you it's likely that it will be either probably Slade and Joseph. So Slade would play that 12 role that Farrell plays and then Joseph goes outside him. The other thing he could do, and and going back to your point on Umaga, Phil, I think the reason that that Umaga is in the team or in the squad over Smith, and I believe, I don't know whether Smith is injured, but um, certainly over Simmons, is that if you watch the way Umaga plays for Wasps with Gopeth outside him, Umanga doesn't have to do too much other than be a threat. So he does he kick he kicks for the for touch, which is great. He he does run the game at 10, but in my opinion, Jimmy Gopoff is running that game for Wasps. He is telling Umanga what to do all the time. For Marcus Smith, he is running that show at Quinns because he doesn't have that 12 outside him. Similarly for Joe Simmons, he is running that show at Exeter. Now, if Farrell is playing at 12, he, for me, whether it's George Ford or Jacob Umaga or whoever, I think Owen Farrell will be running that show in the bat line. Therefore, if you, you don't want two people maybe comp- like that are used to that are used to doing things their way in their teams and then going to England and having to sort of take not orders necessarily, but, but take that sort of guidance from, from Owen Farrell when someone like Umaga is so used to doing it and do, does it very effectively with Jimmy Gopper outside him at Wasps. It's a very similar style that 
that Wasps play, if it, if that makes sense, using the 12 as a pivot rather than the 10? I think Umanga will start on the bench and that would be the change that happens. Will be a centre will go. And let's let's assume it's what you said, Joseph and Slade. One of those will go. The other one stays 13 or goes to 13. Farrell goes to 12 and Umanga comes on at 10. Yeah. So that's the change that he'll make. Um, I, I get the theory. I just, I don't think it's the right decision personally, but I'm no, not going to spend any more time talking about it. That, um, that's the thing, isn't but it? But no, I, I, personally, I'd like to see get on the pitch and get a decent amount of game time as Ollie Thorley. Yeah. Because I think he is, I think he is, he is magic. I think he's a great player, but also um, now that he's bulked up a, a bit, he, he poses a real serious threat. Um, and he's in much better form than Johnny May is at the moment. Yeah, true. I mean, I mentioned Max Malin's there as a fullback, but he could also play ten, obviously. I, I mean, I think I would, I would say I would go with May, Thorley, and Watson. I, I just think May might not be in very good form, but he's he scores he scores pretty much every time he plays. He for doesn't England, he so. doesn't have a bad game for England, Johnny May, yeah. does he? So uh, let's let's talk about the forwards then. Um, we have got uh, Tom Curry, Dunn, Earl, Yules, Genge, George Hill, Ted Hill, Toji Launchby, Ludlam, Abano, uh, Dave Ribbons and his Rave Ribbons, Jack Singleton, which always seems an odd sign-in now. It's just almost like a standard Saracens player gets in an England squad. Um, but then I don't know how much depth we got at Hooker with, with LCD being, being unfit as well. Uh, Sinclair, Stewart, Underhill, Vidapola brothers, Harry Williams and Jack Willis. Um, we, we are absolutely blessed in the back row, aren't we? I mean, Cunderhill, uh, Willis and Ben Earl. Who do you think, I mean, uh, rather than, rather than what you want, or we could do it both ways if you want, who do you think Eddie will pick in the, in the back row? Do you think he'll stick with the, the world cup of Cunderhill and Vidapola with, with Willis and, um, Earl on the bench. Uh, I, uh, I could see him. I could see him having Ted Hill on the bench, covering a covering back row. And he likes a lot. He plays in the. He plays six. Um, but no, I think he'll stick with Curry and Underhill. Um, I, I don't think he's going to mess around too much for this game. And I think if he is going to mess around a bit, it'll be more for the Georgia game. Because yeah, Jack I Willis think... can both play eight and six, can't he? The same as yeah. the same as Ben Earl. I think he'll stick with um, with the Vernapola, Underhill, and Curry, and I think he's right too. Personally, I would play a six-two bench with um, Willis, and I would have gone with Sam Simmons if he was in the squad. But Earl is probably as versatile as Simmons, if not more so. So, yeah. um, no, I think I think Earl and Earl and Simmons are almost one and the same player. Very similar. Earl, Earl's perhaps a little bit bigger, I think. Yes. But, um, yeah, I think that I think you have to stick. That's that's a very good back row, and for all um, there's been a bit of criticism of Billy. He's the only player that we've got back row wise who is like a shock runner. Um, you know, a lot of those players run hard, but they don't bat Punch up holes in yeah. the same way that and, Billy would. And the positive um, for Billy, positive for Billy Ben, is that he's barely played any rugby in the last six months, so he should be pretty fresh. Yeah, exactly. And I think you've got some players there, Dunn, Stewart, uh, and perhaps Johnny Hill, who and and Williams, who who have really shone in the last few weeks. Um, yeah. So they've they've kind of all to a degree got their chance through injury. Um, and I think they um, they'll all get a run. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a load of internationals coming up, isn't there? Because England are yeah. playing Georgia as well, um, and we've got this sort of Autumn Nations Cup type of affair going on as well. So, I mean, there's there's plenty of rugby to come, um, and it'll be interesting to see what Eddie does. Because you know, yes, yes, and every game matters. I think when's when's the pool stage draw that we've already qualified, like as in. The seedings for the pool stage draw of the next World Cup have already been done, haven't they? I, I, the seedings are taken so far in advance. I think that um, 
like what happens now won't affect the seedings for the group. I mean, I, I mean, it was. I think it was the start of the Six Nations this yeah. year um, because uh, Wales had to win one of the autumn internationals to get into the top top group and they didn't, so they ended up not well, I don't, quite making I don't it. Think they some, can something get like that. Group, can they? Because South Africa, no, as, as, Australia, New as Zealand. In, as in they needed to win one of their autumn internationals last year yeah. to have to have made it into top seedings. And they, or might even have been ninth could it have been in getting into ninth because uh, top um, top seeds are south africa new zealand england and wales wales also australia yeah, based, start on that. Yeah, okay yeah ireland australia france january Japan. 2021 uh 2020 rather yes so that I, so that's interesting so england don't have the, the i think the, the point i was getting at is england don't have to worry don't have that as a as a worry to experiment i mean i, I don't think i would have worried anyway having seen italy on saturday I mean, that was a, a woeful game, the a woeful production and presentation, and um, just, I know there was some. It's just been the same all Six Nations that they've just they just run one man up into traffic and he gets turned over. It's just you know they've got good ball carriers in that back row, but they 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 might make a couple of yards, but there's no one with them, so they're just getting turned over. Yeah. And Jack Willis would have a field day against those, isn't yeah. They? Yeah, totally. Oh, well, Curry. Well, I mean, Curry and Underhill, yeah. L- I mean, L- the, whoever he plays. The the one thing to remember with Willis is um, he's not been away at the Six Nations or the um, World Cup. So although he's got that huge number of turnovers, he's he's probably played a lot more games than a lot of the other sort of turnover guys as well. Yeah, so, it, that's, that's but true. He's, but, but he's still double double the turnovers oh, of anyone absolutely. else. Absolutely. He's incredible it's, at the background. But... but in in the way people are talking about him being so good, people have forgotten that Curry was brought into the side because equally because he was so good at the breakdown. So you know, the two of them in the squad, like you say, would would just tear Italy to pieces. I think. Um, I think. I mean, the, the Irish back row just had a field day, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, but it wasn't. It just wasn't a very. It just. It had the feeling of a pre-World Cup friendly. You know, like those games I had last summer before the World Cup. That's the sort of feeling that that game had. Well, it's because it was... I think all all Italy's games in this Six Nations have been pretty much unwatchable. I mean, I'm, I'm saying this and they'll probably beat us now, but because they give away so many penalties and are at the moment pretty uncompetitive, then it's not an easy watch. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Um, well, somehow we've managed to get a whole hour through this. Um, they did the European draw today. Uh, I'm not going to try and explain it because it is fucking mental. It's like the uh, the what's the the Premiership Cup where there are loads of different groups and people play against each other, but not in the same group, but are in a, a pool with teams that they don't play. Um, there are two pools of 12, but Exeter, unfortunately for Exeter, they have been drawn against uh, Toulouse. So they have to play Toulouse twice in the group stage and Glasgow. Um, there are lots of other teams, obviously Northampton have got to go to Leinster. Quinns uh, have got a tough draw. Bristol, uh, I think I've, I need to have it in front of me really, but I haven't. So uh if I think the important thing. I think the important thing is that um, whoever's organised this whole system clearly doesn't understand how people work, um, because it's totally farcical. You got people in pools, but they don't play other people in the all the teams in their pools. So it's kind of largely irrelevant that they're in a pool, and they can't play against teams from the same country. Um, so they have to go overseas, which limits the number of teams that they could play, but they can only play ones from certain tiers. It's it's so overcomplicated. They've been better off going back to a massive, great big ball machine with all the teams written in and just pulling out three teams and saying, right, that'll pull a four. Almost like it was done historically. That would have been great. 
But so, it just... sounds a little bit too simple, though, Phil. Come on. Yeah. Come on, mate. But in Exeter, in Exeter's Pool B, they've got they they're drawn in Pool B with Leon, Ulster, Gloucester, and Toulouse, Toulouse and Glasgow. But they only have to play Toulouse and Glasgow. Whereas Wasps, it's... Wasps play the Dragons and Montpellier. Northampton play Leinster and Bordeaux. It's just, it's just an absolute. It's show. always, it's always been, it's always been a, a shit show of the best placed second team, second placed team in a pool. Ultimately, you can only be judged against the teams that you play against. You can't play different sides and be judged on what your results are. It's, yeah. I don't know, screw, screwed up. They should, I think, if they're going to limit games, which is the whole part of the reason they're doing this, is to cut a couple of weeks off the season. Just go to a straight fucking knockout. Yeah, Bristol have got to play Claremont and uh, Bristol play Claremont and Connor. Uh, Sale play Toulon and Edinburgh. It's just, it's just a mess, absolute an absolute mess, and it it makes a bit of a mockery of of the tournament when you've got the 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 losing semi finalist. And the the winner play who beat them in the semi final playing a, a basically a two legged pool match in the first stage. It's just it's effectively turned in effectively turned into a knockout. All because all because he all because they but, wanted to get that extra team in or the extra couple because, of teams in because they'll end up being judged against the winner of fucking Ospreys against. Yeah, some other because now it's the side. now it's the top eight from each. Is it the top eight from each bloody um, top four from each pool going to knockout? Yeah, it's fucking rubbish, rubbish, mate, rubbish. Um, right, let's let's move on. Uh, let's go into some any other business. Uh, ben, do you have any other business? I like the lion shirt. That's nice, isn't it? Traditional yeah. Canterbury. Yeah, if if anyone wants to send us three then i don't think he's missing out <laughs> oh yeah four. Dog is not allowed one. well he's not here is he he's not here yeah <laughs> they can save on doug because they won't need to pay the vat it's true child sizes yeah phil um so uh dropping the tone a little bit um a couple of weeks ago was baby loss awareness week um, and it's a matter that's fairly close to our heart, very close to our heart. Um, nine years ago today, uh, we lost our son, unfortunately, Harry. Uh, and uh, I, I hadn't planned on bringing that up, but in the middle of Baby Loss Awareness Week, uh, Chrissy Teigen and John Legend, um, or Chrissy Teigen, had a, had a miscarriage um, and announced it publicly. Um, and I say good on her for doing that. Uh, ultimately, we all deal with shit when it happens in very different ways. And then the following day, loose women thought it was appropriate to discuss whether that was the right thing for her to do or not. You know what? You fuck the fuck off. It's got absolutely nothing to do with anybody else, how, she, how they as a couple choose to deal with their grief. So leave them the fuck alone and let them deal with things as they see fit. Loose women... You can just piss off. That's really dumb. I mean, I mean, very well said, Phil. I mean, even before any of that, I could have just said loose women. You can piss right off anyway. Um, but you're you're absolutely yeah, right. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think you know at this point everybody would maybe love me to go into a rant about the government and free school meals and Marcus Rashford and all the just the abomination of the situation we find ourselves in at the moment and how drastically our leadership is severely lacking in general. Um, but what I will say off the back of this is like, it's been really good to see like the local businesses that have struggled, the places that have been, um, you know, of, who have, have suffered quite considerably during lockdown where they weren't able to open their businesses and they weren't able to get their custom and they weren't able to, you know, to to work. And But they are selflessly, you know, putting themselves out there to give 
food and you know just give back a bit and and if if anything is it's shown what a you know what a decent country we are of people in general despite all the other shit that's going on with the leadership despite all of the the bullshit that goes on surrounding it is actually inherently people want to look after each other and especially when it comes to kids is that you know it shouldn't it shouldn't even be a question shouldn't even be a thought so uh well done if, if your business or if you're doing anything to to help or provide or do whatever then my hat goes off to you because you know you don't have to do it but you know it just shows what what a great community of people in general can do when they uh when they put their put their minds to it and put their hearts to it so fair play well, well done, both of you. I wish I'd thought of something better than nice shirts. Well, it's not it's up to you, Ben. So, uh, there you go. Your point, your point was equally valid. Yeah, it sounds it was. like your dog's humping your leg at the moment. Uh, he's actually yeah. not. He's asleep. Oh, you've woken him up now, Phil. Well done. But, um, yeah, no, that was, that was just me jiggling my leg. <laughs> Shake, shaking the piss out. Anyway, um... There we yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, a uh, yeah. Um, there we go. We've we've got well over an hour out of that somehow. Um, but I think we'll probably, you know, we'll take an actual break now for a few weeks. Maybe or maybe we'll come back and talk about England and the Six Nations at the weekend. But it's going to be pretty dog shit in it, so maybe we won't. Um, and we'll be back in in a few weeks to uh, the like the Premiership will be back in like three weeks as well, won't it? Like less than three weeks. Until- <laughs> Till the Premiership comes back, and crazy, isn't it? It is all pretty mental, but you know, when, once it all gets going again, um, and we haven't got loads of midweek matches to worry about, and actual teams are putting out actual proper sides and taking it a bit more seriously, uh, hopefully it will make it a little bit better to watch and, and a bit more of a, a spectacle. So, yeah, we'll be back at some point. But thanks for listening, and uh, we will see you all very soon. Uh, go well. Podcast Network.